0: This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. This is the 11th edition of Sports & Stuff, and today as my special guest, we have former University of Washington Husky basketball legend and NBA player, Eldridge Rick Hasner. Eldridge, hang tight. I'm going to give you a little background of view to the listeners. Then I will fire off some questions, and I think we'll have a good conversation. We're going to hit on a range of subjects, some serious and some more light. Eldridge Kasner is a uh, father and husband, Louisiana native, University of Washington basketball star, three-time All-Pac-10 conference guard. Eldridge played in the Continental Basketball Association. Eldridge played basketball abroad. Eldridge Kasner played in the NBA for about eight seasons. Eldridge had to work very hard. He was an undrafted player, and he played abroad and played in the minor league basketball system to get the NBA, and he had a career for about eight years, way more than the average player. Eldridge played uh, for several postseason teams. In the playoffs, Eldridge has worked as a broadcaster. He's currently a basketball announcer on the Pac-12 network. Eldridge has been a coach. And we'll learn more about you today, Eldridge. But first of all, Eldridge, thank you for coming on Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Paul, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. It's great to have you, Eldridge. I've been following you for years, and it's great to do a one-on-one with you. And by the way, Eldridge, I'm going to have to mention this to the listeners. Happy late birthday. Yes, sir. I finally dropped 50. <laughs> How you like that? Congratulations. You've earned it. Eldridge, here's my first question for you. Basketball's obviously been a big part of your part of your life. Why don't you share with us how you got the basketball bug as a youngster growing up in Louisiana? How
1: I got the basketball bug? I think I got it from my uncles. My my mother's uh, brothers all played. They weren't very big. They were 5'6", five, 5'7", five, but uh, I used to hang out with those guys. They used to take me to the playground, and I used to watch them play, and one of my uncles in particular was a huge basketball fan, and he was a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers, so when I started watching Dr. J, Julius Erving, that's, that's when I fell in love with the game. Uh, but to be honest with you Paul, football was my first love. You know, I thought I was going to be the next Len Swan and when I got to high school, uh, I wasn't very big and strong, <laughs> so I realized
0: You're sixth I three, Eldridge. I was, You're I was about
1: 5'9", 140 then, going into the ninth grade. And I, I said, football's just not going to work, so I started playing basketball. Uh, I actually chipped my tooth playing football in the street, and that kind of ended my football career there in my ninth grade year. So that's when I picked up basketball, and I fell in love with the game.
0: What was it like growing up, Eldridge, in Louisiana in the 1970s, 1980s?
1: It was awesome. You know, it was warm all the time. You know, every day after school, I just went to the playground and played basketball with my friends and uh, grown men. You know, back then it was different. There wasn't much of an AAU circuit in those days. You just kind of played with the people in the neighborhood. And as I got older, I was playing with, you know, 14, 15 year old playing with grown men, 30, 40 years old, and kind of developed into one of the better players in the neighborhood. Yep. Great background.
0: Eldridge, you went through the recruiting process many years ago and you ended up at the University of Washington. Can you share with us a little bit about that recruiting process and give us a little take right now on some of the recruiting scandals going on right now, including the Rick Patino scandal.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, so I was recruited out of New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, ended up coming up here to the University of Washington. but. That definitely wasn't my plan because I didn't know anything about UW in those days. I was recruited by a guy named Andy Russo at Louisiana Tech who had Carl Malone. And, uh, my next biggest offer was Creighton. Well, Willis Reed had a guy named, uh, Benoit Benjamin who's Seattle area fans. Sure. Probably remember from the Sonics. And so when I went on my recruiting trip to Creighton, it's funny. Willis Reed and Creighton told me, well, you want to come here because Carl Malone's going to go pro and they're not going to be very good next year. And then when I went to Louisiana Tech, they said the same thing. You want to come here because Peloy Benjamin's going to go pro and, and Creighton won't be very good. But in the meantime, Louisiana Tech with Carl Malone made a deep run. I think they either made it to the... uh Sweet 16 and Elite Eight with Carl Malone and Andy Russo was a hot young coach in college basketball. Uh, Marv Harshman retired. Andy Russo took the job up here and asked me if I wanted to come to UW. And I, I told him, I said, well, no, I don't know anything about it. But my dad said, hey, that's a great school. That's a great conference, the Pac-10.
0: You're going. So I pretty much didn't have a, a say in the decision. You've been here a long, long time. Eldridge... Yep. When you were recruited at the University of Washington, was the Andy Russo connection Louisiana and your connection Louisiana, was that part of the whole time? That was
1: the whole deal. That was the whole deal. I didn't know anything about the University of Washington. Uh, you know, I saw one special on Deadlift Shrimp and Chris Velt, something about the German connection. Obviously, I knew UCLA and USC for football, but, you know, when you start talk, talking about Oregon, Arizona, Oregon State,
0: Washington State, I had I had never even... Heard of those schools, didn't know anything about them. Do you a part of the country for Louisiana kid, huh? Yes, sir. This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Eldridge Rekasner. Eldridge, um, I want to get your take on this. And you're obviously very familiar with the University of Washington program. Do you have any thoughts on the u decision to let Coach Romar go and to hire Mike Hopkins? Uh... Do
1: I have any thoughts on it? I, I thought it was a tough move at the time when you consider, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and his, and his younger brother, Jante coming here. So if if I was the AD, I probably wouldn't have been able to pull the trigger knowing those guys were coming. But, you know, you never know all the ins and outs of the story and what took place. And, uh, sure. And for some reason they found it was best to part ways with Lorenzo at that time. You know, Mike Hopkins is a new coach, and I think for, you know, all former players, they just want to see – uh, the University do well so you know I, I wish Mike Hopkins all the all luck in the world and you know Lorenzo seemed to have landed on his feet he's down there at Arizona which is going to be really awkward when they come to town but uh mm-hmm. it looks like Lowe is doing well himself so I think it, it worked out for all the parties involved.
0: Lorenzo's such an honorable guy. It was a tough decision, wasn't it?
1: Oh, without a doubt, I'm pretty sure it was. I, I, you know,
0: Lorenzo was liked by everybody, and I, including Jennifer Cohen, so I'm pretty sure it was a tough decision for her. Eldridge, I want to ask you a question here about youth sports and Little League sports. There was a recent Seattle Times story about how coaches are addressing parents these days at the mm-hmm. high school and Little League sports level. I know you've coached Eldridge, and you obviously know the basketball and sports scene real well. One coach, for example, in the Seattle Times story has a policy that he always wants to have the child present when talking to a parent about playing time and other issues. Another female coach interviewed has some very specific criteria about how to have a conference with a parent. Eldridge, what are your thoughts on how coaches should address uh, parents about kids' playing time issues at the Little League and high school sports levels?
1: You know, the Little League has is, 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 is gotten ridiculous. You know, I was just having a conversation with two of my friends last night. One of them is on the Positive Coachings Alliance uh, board. And, uh, you know, and having a son, I have a seventh-grade son that plays basketball, it, it, it's tough, you know. But uh, we're so involved now, and I think so many people are putting putting their eggs in the basket where they want their kids to get scholarships. They're putting pressure on these coaches to play their kids, and, you know, it's about competition. You know, and you got to look at whatever level it is that you're talking about. If you're talking about a league at the rec center, then it's equal playing time for everybody. But if you go all the way up to the AAU level where it's pretty advanced, then there's no guarantee for playing time for a kid. And I think that's sometimes where parents get frustrated. They say, hey, my son's on the team. But, you know, AAU teams, they're, they're trying to win games. So they're going to play the kids that they think can help them win. Um, feedback is something that I think you should give the parents so they can understand the situation with their, with, with their kids. But, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with because sometimes parents can be really, really demanding and, and sometimes their, uh, their outlook on their kid isn't realistic.
0: And right now, college, as we know, is so expensive. A lot of parents mm-hmm. are obviously looking for scholarships for their kids at the yeah. college level.
1: Well, a lot of parents are damn near paying for a college education with all this travel AU teams do. You just can't put, you know, when I played, I don't, I can't recall my parents coming to a game until I made a high school, the high school team. You know, when I was playing rec ball and, and youth ball, they never came out to any games. I didn't have any pressure. You know, all they wanted to know was, you know, am I on the playground? Am I staying out of trouble? Well, you say now, youth sports, the sad part of it is youth sports has become a business just like everything else, and that's, that's the most disappointing part of it for me.
0: No question. Different era, Eldridge. Eldridge, you played in Germany, the Philippines, and Turkey before you started your prominent NBA career. Give me a little take on playing those countries. Which of those three countries did you like playing in the most? I would say I like
1: playing in, uh, in Germany the most. I played in a little town called Bomberg. It was, it was a great area. It was like a mini Vienna. Um, just a really cute little town. But I, I also enjoyed my time in, in Istanbul and in Turkey. Uh the Philippines was probably the worst poverty I've ever seen in my life, I say with the exception of Haiti. I mean it, it, it just was poor. You couldn't even imagine how poor folks was. If you had a if you had a piece of property and you had a front yard, folks were setting up tents in your front yard. That's how bad it was. But the basketball was was, was really great. They used to get twelve to sixteen thousand fans per game in the Philippines, and as soon as I stepped off the plane, man, it was amazing. All the people knew who I was, so they, they really love basketball down in the Philippines. If you ask me what country is basketball the most popular, there's no doubt the Philippines.
0: You know, I've been to the Philippines, and your observations about the country yeah. are really on target. They love basketball. It's a very poor country. It is,
1: true. extremely poor. I was in Manila, and it was it was, it was was hotter than hell, but they,
0: they really love basketball. Great background, Eldridge. So, Eldridge, you played in the Continental Basketball Association, for a couple of years before mm-hmm. you made it to the NBA, give us some thoughts on what, what the CBA life was like back then. The CBA life was
1: the the life. Wasn't great, but the league was great. You know, I played in Yakima for the Yakima Sun Kings in the CBA. And I didn't do it my first year out of college, and I I regret that. I wish I would have. But but Yakima gave me a chance to pursue my dream. Uh, We won a championship my last year, which was 1995. I was named the MVP of the league, and uh, I made some great friendships over there. A lot of my friends, uh, Chucky Brown made the NBA. Anthony Goldwire made the NBA. Uh, A guy named Reggie Jordan made the NBA, but I still keep in contact with those guys. Our athletic trainer, Jeff Clark, is now the trainer for the Portland Trailblazers. You know, so he got a call up to the NBA. It just was a really, really fun experience, man. And it gave me an opportunity, like I said, to pursue my dream of the NBA. And I I tell if there's any kids listening to your show, you know, you just got to follow your dream. You never know what can happen. I went from playing from the Yakima Sun Kings to starting for the Houston Rockets. And I tell you what, it doesn't get... More of a fairy tale story than that.
0: Well, it has a little Disney there, doesn't it? <laughs> it's got a little everything in that one. <laughs> Eldridge, uh, this is Paul Schneier, on Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Eldridge or Kasner. Eldridge, the NBA has a rule right now where a player needs to wait one year after graduating from high school to play in the NBA. Do you agree with that rule?
1: No, I don't like it. You know, I, I think if you're 18 years old, you can go to, to the military to go to the war, you should be able to go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's good for everybody, but if LeBron James is going to go to college, for what? It's a waste, I mean, for a guy like that. So I think the, the rule is in place to try to help some of the guys that maybe be on, on the borderline, but there's some guys that just have God-given talent and going to school isn't, isn't doing anything for them. So uh, I wish they would just let the, let the guys go, and I think that the, the problem will solve itself. Those that are good enough will get drafted.
0: Those that aren't, they would have to go to college. A little survival of the fittest there, huh? Yep. Spencer Haywood, years ago, played a big role in his famous U.S. Supreme Court case where the NBA had a role where a player had to wait at least four years from his high school graduating graduating class to play. Spencer Haywood sure played a big role in changing that, didn't he?
1: Oh, Spencer Haywood played the biggest role. I mean, there wouldn't be a, a LeBron James or Daryl Dawkins or a Moses Malone without Spencer Haywood. And I don't think a lot of the young folks today realize that, you know, he had a special that came out called Four Court. I went to the premiere here in Seattle. Spencer's a really good friend of mine, but he paid a hell of a price, you know, he paid a hell of a price for, you know, for suing the NBA, trying to get eligible to play, um, you know, member of the Olympic team in 1968, one of the greatest players of all time. But I'd really like to see Spencer get more credit for what he did. He sacrificed a lot of his a lot of his career. He, he was pretty much blackballed for a long time. He's in the Hall of Fame now, but it should have taken place a long time ago.
0: Eldridge you're, you and I are both the generation X era. Do the generation X era players do they recognize what Spencer Haywood did? A lot of guys that played in your era?
1: Man, you know, I don't know. I hear all this millennial, Generation X, baby boomer. I don't know the difference with all that stuff, <laughs> uh, Paul, to be honest with you, man. What I'll tell you is no, I don't think they do understand. You know, we did a premiere for the NBA Players Association in New York City. And, uh, you know, just tried to bring awareness because it, it, it's weird, Paul. You know, the Michael Jordans, the Julius Irvings, the Magic Johnson, everybody remember those guys. But it's a lot of great players like Spencer Haywoods, Bernard Kings, you know, guys like that, that when you mention their name, the younger kids just don't know who they are. But they were some of the greatest players of all time. And, and Spencer Haywood, you know, when you talk about 29 points and 14 rebounds a game, he averaged over four years here with Seattle, man. People think of the best power forward in, in Sonics history. They think Sean Kemp. But,
0: Spencer Haywood might have something to say about that. He was a terrific player, like you said. He had a lot of courage in what he did yeah, as well. Yep. Eldridge, you had, played in the NBA for what was it, about eight years? Eight think, years, yeah. Okay. Was Jordan the best player you played against?
1: <laughs> hey, is that a joke?
0: Uh, I, of course question. he was. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Ain't nobody better than Michael, in my opinion. He's the greatest player that I've ever seen.
0: This is Paul Schneierman of Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Eldridge Rick Hasner. Do, do you think uh, Jordan's better than LeBron? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. There's no, there's no comparison to me. You know,
1: and the best example I can give. I love LeBron. Don't get me wrong. I think he's great. He's the most scrutinized athlete of all time. But at the, the. The way I give the area I give Michael the edge is at the end of the games. When Michael had the ball at the end of the game, if you wasn't a fan of the Chicago Bulls, you were scared to death that he was gonna make it and you prayed he missed. When LeBron has the ball at the end of the games, to me, you're praying that he makes it. And that's that's pretty much the difference to me. Michael could have went 0 for 20, but when the game was on the line, you always felt he was gonna hit that shot. And like I said, uh I just have a lot of respect for him. You know, the first time I played against him. He was on me like white on rice man. I asked him, I said, Well golly, you know what what's wrong? Did did I do something? Did somebody tell you I said something about you? And he just told me no. He looked me in the eye and he said, I just want you to know why I'm considered the best. And ever since that day I've always had a lot of respect for Michael.
0: You know him personally pretty well?
1: No, I'm from playing against him. You know, I don't know him personally off the court. You know, we uh when I was with the Atlanta Hawks, we we played the Bulls every year during the regular season and in the playoffs. And we matched up with him pretty good. And a few of those games I you know, I had to guard Michael for the majority of the game, so uh, he was just the most fierce competitor that I've ever seen on a basketball court. He was the most skilled. He was the most athletic, you know, the most driven. So when you put all that together, man, he was the best. And I, the, the, the way I try to break it down to people is he was the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the league. And when you think about that, it's usually one or the other. You see a guy that's really good offensively, let's like, say, Kevin Durant. Then you see a guy that's really good defensively, like, say, a Gary Payton. But when you talk about a guy is the best at both of those – I, I will, If you can find somebody that's better than Michael Jordan, I haven't seen him yet. Well, you give him very
0: strong accolades for sure. Eldridge, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're currently a broadcaster on the Pac-12 network for basketball games. You've also been a basketball analyst on radio stations. Do you prefer the play by play or the more the commentary side of, of being an analyst? I like
1: the commentary side, you know, because, uh, you know, the play-by-play guys, they they, they do more research. and you know, They give more background and stuff. I just like to describe the action as I see it. And uh, having an opportunity to work with the Pac-12, a conference that I played in, is great. You know, I've been out here in Seattle now for 32 years, so I've been a member of the Pac-12 family for 32 years. So it's an honor and a pleasure for me to go out there and call games. I'm off to to Washington State tomorrow to call a game for them. I'm back here on Sunday to call a game for you, Dove. So uh, it's just been a, it's been a pleasure to work in the conference.
0: Well, we, we enjoy listening to Eldridge. You're, you're very folksy and you have some great observations on basketball. Okay, I got a real basketball junkie question for uh-huh. Eldridge. And This is a question I asked. This is a real inside basketball hoops kind of question. Robert Horry has seven rings. Yep. He was known as Mr. June for his playoff performances. Should Robert Horry be in the Hall of Fame?
1: Oh boy, that's a tough one because Robert was a teammate of mine. Um, you know,
0: I, you know, I, I, best supporting actor, right, Eldridge?
1: <laughs> he definitely wasn't the leading man. <laughs> that's what you mean. But I tell you what, when it came to hitting the big shots, man, he knocked them down. You know, they call him Big Shot Bob. You know. I, I don't really consider Robert to be a, a, a great player, though. So when you talk about the Hall of Fame, I think you really have to be a great player. So I, w- I, would, I would say no on on that one, unless you're going to put him in there for just you know hitting timely big shots. And if that's the case, then I would have to say yeah. But when you talk about the Hall of Fame, you look at a guy's overall body of work. Robert Hoyt was never an NBA All-Star to my knowledge. And uh, if you're going to get in the Hall of Fame, you're not an NBA All-Star then I don't, I don't think that qualifies you. But you
0: don't think it's a frivolous argument, though, that there's a case for Horry to be in the Hall of Fame? Personally? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's frivolous. Oh, you do? Because, okay. like I said, I okay. played with him. But for people on the outside that see him hitting the big shots, they they, they look at it a little differently. So what are we going to do next? We're going to put Steve Kerr in the Hall of Fame?
0: That's a great, great rebuttal to my question. I just like it. i like that's—I just ask that question to, to people who are really into basketball. I get all sorts of different answers. To that. Because when I think
1: know. of a guy in the Hall of Fame, or I think of a guy that's got his number retired in the rafters, when you see the name, you should go, "Wow, that dude was a bad dude." And I don't—I <laughs> don't know if everybody's going to say that about Robert Ory across the board. Great clutch shooter. There's no doubt in my mind. So if there's a category for great clutch shooters, then yes. But when you talk about a body of work as a player, I would—I would say no. Appreciate your response.
0: Just want to get your take. Yep. Elridge, you played for Donald Sterling, the now dethroned former owner of the L.A. Clippers. Uh, as you know, a couple of years ago, Commissioner St- Silver played a role in basically kicking... Sterling out of the NBA, did you agree with that decision, Mike? Mr. Silver.
1: Oh, of course. I thought the comments that uh, Donald Sterling made were inappropriate, you know. But I got to say, when I played for the Clippers, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see any of that. You know, he was just kind of known as a as a cheap guy, as a owner that didn't want to pay the players. But when you start bringing in the the racial dynamic, I, I never saw any of that. But. Uh, you know, I I have a meeting with Adam Silver every year. I think he's a great guy, and there's no way he's going to let a guy like that come in and tarnish the, the brand that's the NBA. I mean, I think the NBA welcomes everybody. They don't care, you know, what background, black, white, red, green, foreign, domestic, you know, Catholic. It doesn't matter. You know, if you can play,
0: you can play, and, and the NBA welcomes you with open arms. Well, Silver may be a good guy, but you would agree, Eldridge, he needs to do a lot more to get an NBA team back to Seattle, right? I think he's trying. You know, it, it that – we
1: lost the team, wasn't on his watch. <laughs> you know, that was more Donald Sterling. So I, I think Adam Silver's a great guy. I think he wants another franchise in Seattle. And to be honest with you, I think we're going to get one. But we need an arena first, you know, no, whether God. it's Soto or somewhere else. You know, we need to get an arena first before we're even going to be considered.
0: Paul Schneiderman on Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Eldridge Rokasner. Eldridge, a lot that's been going on right now with some of the protests involving Kaepernick and the NFL National Anthem issue – I hear Eldred sometimes, tell me if you agree with this, that comparatively speaking the NBA owners are a bit more progressive than generally the NFL, MLB, NHL NHL owners. Do you agree with that? In other words, is it a little easier for NBA players to protest than some athletes in the other leagues?
1: I'm not sure it's, it's, it's easier. Uh, I just think the NBA is more visible. You know, when you look at football, you know your favorite player, you might not even know what the hell he looks like because they've got a helmet and a uniform all the time. Whereas the NBA, even if it's not your favorite player, you, you know the guys once they step on the court because they're so visible. And I just think it's you know it's less guys in the NBA. Um, for some reason, the NBA has embraced players protesting, and and, and the NFL has been has been just the opposite.
0: I I. Appreciate your perspectives, and and because you actually played, and I think you have some insights on for sure on the business side of the league as well. Mm-hmm. Eldridge, I asked uh, your friend Greg Lewis this question. Greg is, you know, playing in the NFL. He's uh, one of your UW friends and colleagues. I also asked a similar question of Bill North, former Major League Baseball player. Can you share with us a little bit about the NBA labor situation when you played? Billy Hunter, I believe, was the players' union chief when you played. Tell me a little bit about Billy Hunter, and what do you feel about the new players' union chief, Michelle Roberts?
1: Well, you know, Billy, uh, we had a lockout. You uh, know, you're bringing back some some bad memories because I think I lost four hundred thousand dollars that year during a lockout. We had a lockout in nineteen ninety nine. It's and no we, joke. No, it's no joke at all. And we had a, you know, I think we we didn't start playing until late December or maybe early January. I can't really recall, but I know I missed forty percent of of my pay that year. And they they flew all the players into New York. We were supposed to vote on a deal, and they had an agreement before we had a chance to vote. So, uh, you know, that was a, a difficult time period. You know, the new Head of the Players Association is Michelle Roberts, and I think she's great. I've had several opportunities to, to talk to Michelle uh, at certain events, and uh, I think she did an outstanding job in this collective bargaining agreement. I think she has the players' best interests at heart. She's a no-nonsense lady, but, you know, she's, she's serious about her business, and she's serious about looking out for what's best for the players. So uh, I think Michelle is a great hire for the Players Association, without a doubt. Were you fond of Billy Hunter? I didn't know Billy as well, but... You know, I I like Billy from the few interactions I had with him when I was a player. I thought he he was a good guy. Uh, I know Michelle Roberts a lot better because I'm on the board of the NBA Retired Players Association, so I get an opportunity to interact with her a lot more. I didn't know Billy as well, but uh, I never had any bad experiences or anything with Billy when he was in office.
0: Do you enjoy serving on the board of the Retired Players Association? Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. Uh, this is my fourth year on the board. I, I did a three-year term. I was re-elected, so I'm doing my second term, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's been a, it's been a good opportunity for me um, to have guys like Spencer Haywood, Rick Barry. you know, in the room with you, man. Sometimes you got to pinch yourself and say, wow, this is some of the greatest players that ever played the game. So uh, it's been a blessing be a fun auction
0: item, Eldridge, if I could bid on that auction item and hang out with you. I've got some. If if you've got (laughs) enough money, you can bid it up, baby. You can have it. (laughs)
1: Love
0: it. Love it. (laughs) Paul Schneiderman on Sports & Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Eldridge Kasner. Eldridge, I I see your presence on Twitter, and I've heard some of your commentaries. You've certainly expressed some thoughts about the Trump administration, and you certainly have some views about some subjects beyond basketball. Uh, Have you always been pretty political, Eldridge?
1: Uh, I don't know if "political" is the right word to use, but when it comes to associations I have to say, yeah. You know, I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, you, you know a lot of racial segregation when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's by choice. I just think it's, it's, it's in my DNA and where I'm from. You know, I believe in speaking up when I don't see something that I feel is right. So uh, I wouldn't say so much political because I'm not a fan of of politics. At all, and I mean that as far as in any area. I'm not just talking about politicians, I, you know, one of the biggest gripes I think we all have is just the politics you face wherever you work on a daily basis. It, that's crap. And when you talk about the real politics, then that's really crap. So <laughs> if, if, if that made it clear for me, I think you get my point.
0: When you played Eldridge in the uh, 1990s era, were a lot of the players talk politics or social policy much? We no, nah, because I don't, I don't
1: remember the drama. And when I play like we have now, you know what you know that you know a president was looked at as a as a person of respect, um, you know, and and he didn't have to demand it; it was just given to him due to the position. So I think you know the the, the situation has is, is changed a little bit, and uh, that's why you're seeing so much upheaval and so many people coming out. And then the social media era is giving everybody a voice. You know, back in the day, you know, a, a reporter had to break your story, but now you can break your own story. So uh, the times has changed.
0: Eldridge, uh, you, you mentioned that you're involved in the NBA Retired Players Association. Are most of your current friends former uh, basketball players, Are those, or do you have a lot of friends outside basketball circles too? I have friends
1: outside of basketball circles. I, I say most of my longtime friends, yeah, but I have some some, some friends, especially here in Seattle, that I didn't play basketball with. Uh, but, you know, basketball pretty much gave me the bulk of my friends that I have. And you, know, you talk about politics, that's the one thing that I've always loved about sports. Once you step on a court, you know, who your mom is, who your dad is, how much money you got, none of that stuff matters. It's either you can play or you can't, you know. And for a guy like me, I just wish the real world,
0: you know, worked like that, but unfortunately it doesn't. You recognize that there are social injustices out there, for sure. Yep. Eldridge, um, you mentioned that you played in the the CBA, and Major League Baseball, as you know, has a a major minor league baseball system, where an 18-year-old kid can decide to not to go to college and make some money playing minor league baseball. Do you think basketball should incorporate, it would certainly affect college basketball a lot, but do you think basketball should incorporate more of a baseball-style minor league system?
1: You know I don't know enough about the baseball style minor league system to probably answer that question accurately Paul. I I do know I've been to a couple Tacoma Rainiers games and I I think they were awesome but you know the the NBA has the NBA development league but to to tell you what the difference is between minor league baseball and that I'm not knowledgeable enough to know Um, but I think the NBA is doing a lot better job with their development league which is now called the G League because it's sponsored by Gatorade but uh, you know it's just uh, you know the minor leagues are the minor leagues man I mean I don't know how much better you can, you, you, you can make it. Um, you know, I think the, the D-League is giving
0: kids an opportunity to be seen, and you know, that's all you want. It would definitely change the complexion of college basketball if players were, instead of going to college for a year or, or two, were, were going right to the CBA. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they pay enough. Ball. <laughs> I don't gotcha. think
1: that's gonna happen. Gotcha. You know, you gonna roll the dice and, to, to to make twenty five thousand a year or stay in college where you can make millions. I think they're gonna go to college, and I think that would be the right decision, even though college isn't for everybody. But I think the bulk of the good players are gonna at least go to college and try, unless somehow. So you're telling me that minor league baseball players make enough to live off of because minor league basketball players do not. I know that for a fact. If you got a contract in the, in the, in the D league. Yeah, you're living at home with your mom and pop, so you're living with somebody in the family. It's not Eldridge, enough for you got to that folksiness. <laughs> I'm telling you,
0: you got that folksiness. Well, Eldridge, we're about to wrap up here, and I'd love to talk to you longer, but hopefully I'll get you back one day. It's been great to have you on our station. What does the future hold for Eldridge or Kasner? You know, I don't know, Paul. I've got four
1: kids, man, and right now I'm just trying to focus on giving them the best life I can to try to prepare them, you know, for when they leave the nest. Uh, outside of that, I just want to enjoy my family, man, and uh, you know my mother's getting up in age. I try to get back to New Orleans as much as I can, and at this point, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to just enjoy life. You know, I I did the grind with the NBA. I'm going through the grind right now with my kids because college is brutal, man. I have a daughter at USC, and I tell you what, it is not cheap. And I got three kids after them. Two of them don't want to play sports, so I'm hoping that the academic Jesus can get an academic scholarship. But uh right now, I just I just I just turned fifty. I thank God for that. Uh, I I think that's still young, but when you're a kid from the lower ninth order in New Orleans, that's a hell of an accomplishment to make it to 50.
0: Eldridge, it's been great to have you on. Thanks. Thank you.